I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. I am joined today by Cash Patel. Cash was the chief of staff to acting Secretary of Defense Chris Miller at the end of the first Donald Trump administration. The first Donald Trump term, I should say. Uh, Also at the National Security Council and right alongside Devin Nunes when you guys were investigating the Russiagate hoax. Uh, so cash welcome. I know you have a new project now called fight with cash. So why don't you lay that on? me? Yeah, Chris, look, it's great to be with you. I'm excited. Thanks for having me and, um, taking time on your important show to, to talk about that. Yeah. Look, fight with cash sort of is the defining feature of what Russiagate ended up being and what we're all about now. And that is correcting the fake news media. They took enough shots, um, pot shots. They defamed not just me and the likes of Devin Nunes, but everyday Americans and big tech and big media were a part of it all by creating phantom stories and hurting our names and reputations. So I went out there and sued CNN, New York Times and Politico. I love that. To clear my name. But I, when I went around the country talking with Devin, we figured out that we weren't the only guys subjected to this kind of defamation, this kind of, you know, basically media torture. And mm-hmm. so I started Fight With Cash. It's a five, it's a, not, what do you call it? It's a legal trust. Basically, I go around the country, I raise money, and you go to the website and you donate where you can. We'd love your support. But if you've been defamed and you've been deplatformed, reach out to us on the website. We will look at your case for free. And more importantly, if you have a legal cause of action to take, whether it's in Idaho, Montana, New York, California, wherever, we at Fight With Cash will pay for your lawyers and pay for your day in court. It won't cost you a cent. Because it's important to correct the fake news media and get your name back. And that's what fight was sign. Sign me up, man. I was banned off Instagram, banned off Twitter. I'm now I'm now being censored by Spreadshirt, like the print on demand company that I make my merch with. I am Uh, having design censored on there. It's crazy. Summary. We'll look at I will do that. I will do that. Um, so that's great to hear. Fightwithcash.com. Is that where they find you? Yep. With a K. Awesome. All right, cool. Well, that's actually kind of a great lead in because these mixed up media stories have been so harmful. And I'm not one of those people that's like calling everything disinformation. That's just another one of those terms that has gone Orwellian and has been completely reversed. (laughs) It's like if you disagree with the central narrative at all, you're the one telling disinformation, even though they are provably spreading harmful conspiracy theories on the air all the time. And we know that that comes from, you know, a greater need to to push that kind of propaganda. And so what I want to talk to you about to start off is a little bit about the deep state, because, you know, I talk about it a fair amount and people have some familiarity Mm. with it. But I wanted to get what you think of as the deep state. Yeah, well, man, how much time do you got? Uh, so look, <laughs> I, look, after serving in government for 16 years and being in all three branches of government on operational policy and leadership levels, I have to say, out, and I always will say out of the gate, 98% of the people I serve with, great Americans. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Sign up to serve the mission, which is great. Where we failed 
where, our, where, where the giant failure was in our leadership across the board from DOJ to FBI, to the Department of Defense, to the State Department, and others. And it, you, you wouldn't think a presidential cabinet could come in after a duly elected president had been elected by the people of the United States and try to undermine his presidency because they thought for some reason they were the guardians of the galaxy. And when I say deep state, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Gina Haspels of the world. I'm talking about the Paul Nakasonis of the world and so many others that led these agencies in contravention to what their commander in chief told them to do. And so it was important for us not to just root it out at the Russiagate level, right? We started there and we exposed the James Comey's, Andy McCabe's and Chris um, and Peter Strzok's of the world. And we saw, you know, and the Rod Rosenstein's and we saw the cover up after the crime had even been committed by Trump's own people. Those guys were more of a deep state than anyone that acted against Donald Trump because they were put in power by him after he was elected president. And it's and it's those efforts that, you know, we uncovered that are unveiled in the plot against the president, which is brilliant. And you have to see it and read it if you haven't already. Absolutely. But to me, that's the to me, that's the essence of, unfortunately, what the deep state is. And we exposed it in the first three years we spent exposing it. People called us anarchists and us communists. And it turned out we were the ones that were, you know, the Americans. So is there a way because, you know, a lot of the a lot of. Trump supporters were frustrated by some of his appointments throughout his first term. They were concerned that maybe he was lacking in judgment on who he selected. I don't know if, you know, there's also the theory that he put people in place knowing he could get a certain thing out of them and then was happy to move on. But is there a way to tell who's like part of the deep state and who's not? Because yeah. it's, it's one of those terms, man, that, that it's, simultaneously overbroad and also not broad enough, you know, because it goes to different parts of our culture, different industries, you know, there, there are connections to different countries and whatever. It's not this one defined thing. So how are you able to tell, how is he going to be able to make better decisions in a second term? For he, instance, he, he being Donald Trump, I think, uh, you know, realizes that we have the bench. It's there. It exists. We just didn't pick the right people the first time around. And I think part of it is it was a, they put a trust in a system, which you should do. You should put a trust in careers. Um, people who come in um, at the recommendation of those careers, you should normally you're able to put a trust in them. He was coming from private industry from Trump world and running the United States government, the largest company on planet Earth. And normally you would have placed trust in a lot of those individuals. Unfortunately, a lot of those individuals he placed trust in violated that trust. And it took us a while to figure it out and show people. But once we did. We figured out what we should have known going in from jump, which is you have to have your people across the board and not just at the cabinet level, but the undersecretary level, the deputy level, the chief of staff level and, and the like across the board, because that is how you get your policy done. And your policy is what got you elected as president. Right. Not mine. Exactly. And so that's what should be carried out in everyday departments and agencies across the government. And that's what um, we did. We had a ton of success, especially on the national security front where I worked under President Trump and economic, too. But I had nothing to do with that. I couldn't really speak to that. But there was a lot of success there. So I always remind people about the times of national security that were so high for us during the Trump administration. And we had so much success because we did come together and act in concert with the president of the United States. 
So I've been thinking, uh, you know, obviously in preparation for this interview, but I, I think about this concept of the deep state a lot. And I was thinking yesterday about how the deep state is kind of like America's evil twin, right? Like you can't tell the two twins apart unless you know them really well. You don't know who's deep state <laughs> and who's not. And right. then e- even then you mess up sometimes and like get them backwards. I used to, I used to work for these two twins in Los Angeles. And if it got too late at night or if I hadn't seen them in a while, I would call one of them the wrong name and then feel extraordinarily guilty. But, uh, like if you know, you're America, you're like the good twin, like the greatest guy ever, like the quarterback of the football team, you know, just saving people's <laughs> lives left and right. You're independently wealthy. Like you got this nice live and let live attitude. You're a little abrasive t- sometimes, but also really funny. And then you, you know, you've got the evil twin out there, which is like the opposite of all those qualities and just constantly lying, never really working. Everything's transactional, but he's got great PR, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're both kind of operating on the same level. And if you imagine them as the same, you're like, wait, why is America doing this right now? And then you're like, wait a second, that's not America. That's the evil twin. Like, <laughs> am I? Am I making sense here? Because that's what it seems like. And why is it so hard to tell them apart? Um, I mean, I I think from the inside, when you're working, it's not as hard to tell them apart. Maybe maybe my perspective is either, I don't know if jaded or biased or unique, but I I didn't have the perspective of the outside looking in. I spent 16 years in and then I left, right? Right. And I'm looking in now from the outside for the first time. So, you know, I tell your viewers, take both sides, you know, because – you have to look at it from both ways because Washington, D.C., as my good friend Rick Grinnell has always told me, most of America can't stand this place. And right. rightly so, because our congressional leadership fails us on a daily basis. And the and the issues that America cares about, I'll just throw a few out there today, gas prices, the southern border, the opiate crisis, the pandemic, yeah. Yeah. China, Russia, you know, those are things Americans care about. We don't care about spending trillions of dollars on building fantasy bridges to nowhere. That's what Washington, D.C. cares about. So it's always good to keep that perspective of looking in and out and looking out and then in. And mine is just, you know, for so long, it was just one way because I was in government the entire time. So I guess I was able to see some of the governmental abuses along the way during my career and call them out that I knew where to look for them and how to find them. So it Mm -hmm. made it easier for me to highlight. But of course, telling that story, which I think is your duty to the American public who you're beholden to was a harder lift. And, you know, Devin and I went through that in Russiagate and, um, you know, we really took it on the chin, but we knew we were right. And we were doing the job that you, the American citizens would want us to do. And we love you for that, by the way. Um, <laughs> so in a recent episode of Cash's Corner, uh, you were talking, I, I think it's Yanya Kalik. Am I saying that yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. nailed it. Great so guy. you were, you were discussing China and you kind of, I don't know, flat out said, but kind of made the point that both sides. And I think you were saying that as like Democrat Republican side. But Mm -hmm. I was thinking of it as, you know, kind of the deep state and America, right? The the Mm -hmm. evil twin and the good twin. They both largely agree about China. And and I want to know exactly what you meant at that about that. And I want to kind of probe that for a second. Yeah. So, look, you know, whether I was you know, running ops as a, in a targeting operations at JSOC or whether I was chief of staff at DOD or deputy director of national intel, policy operation uh, to leadership levels. There's always one constant for me. Who are your enemies, right? In the mm-hmm. national defense of America, you have to identify who your enemies are and then set your tone, your policy against that 
uh, complex. And so for me, it was always Russia and China, China and Russia, right, outside of the counterterrorism world, which was sort of my everyday for a while. And it, was, it wasn't just their threats, geographically speaking. It was what they were capable of doing at a cyber level and also what they were doing against our defense capabilities from space and underwater. And so when I talk about, I think, and I still believe this, that most Americans, if you ask them, will tell you. China is 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 our number one or number two, you know, enemy, whichever order you want to take it in, big, in terms of biggest threats to American national security, and not just from like a typical DOD national security standpoint, but an economic one as well, right? Because of the trade deficit, and that is a national security issue: trade deficits and tariffs in China. And oh, by the way, property, they gave us infiltration they gave us into the, the universities. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? You yeah. know, so holding them accountable is what I'm trying to get to. Um, in all that is is you can't hold them accountable if you don't view them as the number one enemy, as Donald Trump did. I, I don't think this administration sees it the same way. Yeah. And I think that there's millions and millions of reasons why they don't seem to. I mean, Peter Schweitzer's got his book coming out. Mm-hmm. The Hunter Biden stuff is racking up like the allegation. There's yeah. a new article every day. And part yeah. of that is just them pushing the book. Some of this has been known for a while. And uh my my friend Garrett Ziegler is releasing a report soon about the contents of the laptop and ties to criminality. Um, but so it seems like to me, though, that in our institutions, there is some level of capture by the Chinese Communist Party, some level of influence there that mm-hmm. is making it so we can't face China head on the way Donald Trump wanted to do. You know, he was imposing the tariffs and mm-hmm. whatever sanctions he was trying to decouple and bring manufacturing home. But all of that seems dead in the water right now. And it doesn't seem like there's any indication that Joe Biden has either the desire or the fortitude to actually stand up to China in any meaningful way. No, and and, and those are some those are unfortunately some some examples of your point. It just shows the weakened position of the United States. Look, two months ago, the Xi Jinping and the CCP were taking, and I'm not kidding, they were taking target practice at American dummy ships in the South China Sea that they had built. Why were they doing that? They were doing that to show the world that they could do it under the current leadership structure of the United States and have no repercussions or reprisals. Yeah. Why does that matter? Because because as Putin is displaying the Ukraine to 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 be to Russia, Xi Jinping has always been displaying Taiwan to be to the CCP. And right. why do any of those things matter? It matters because of what you said earlier. These things did not happen under President Trump because of his trade embargoes, because of his tariffs, because of his leveling out of the playing field and the uh, trade uh, imbalances we had between us and a China. And look at the Winter Olympics that are coming up. We are right. actually the United States is supporting. Thank you, Nike and the NBA and the rest of those morons. A country that has genocide, not once, not twice, but three separate versions of genocide ongoing at the same time. Right. And you want to just do you want to just lay those out for a second? Because if if I'm getting you correct, we're talking about the Falun Gong. Yeah. Talking about the concentration camps. Yeah. For the uh, for the Muslim Uyghurs. Yep. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you nailed it. The the, the three other Uyghur Muslim concentration camps. And they are concentration camps in modern day China. That they are and there's Christian persecution there as well, right? Christian persecution. You nailed it with Fulong Gong as well. And the third, the third form of genocide that the Chinese Communist Party does has and always been against the people of Tibet. They, right. it's sort of right. always forgotten just because it's been going on for so long. People are like, ah, eh, whatever. But 
you know, I'm not one to say, eh, whatever to genocide, you know, Nike and uh, the NBA can, but you know, at Did least you see the owner of the Golden State Warriors last week actually just came out and said that it basically wasn't on his radar. Like in terms of things he cares about, it doesn't meet the bar. But this is what I'm talking about. This is unbelievable. An owner yeah. of a league, the NBA, and this owner basically says um, he could care less about Chinese genocide because he said no one does. That's absurd. It's absurd. And what does the NBA do? Reward China with more contracts and more money. What does Nike do? Build all their stuff over there, make all their stuff there for free in slave labor camps or wherever. And uh, the only guy speaking out on it is Enos Cantor. You know, credit to that guy. But what, meanwhile, LeBron, LeBron just sits there and is, you know, Nike's man child for his billion dollar payday out of China. He doesn't care. He, he spoke up and de- he spoke up and defended the Chinese Communist Party yeah. a few years ago when Daryl Morey from the Houston Rockets had posted something in support of the protesters in Hong Kong. LeBron James is. Yeah, he's just the worst. Um, these Olympic Games seem like they are a disaster waiting to happen. I don't yeah. know why we're sending athletes and there's mm-hmm. this, you know, there's this new, like, I don't know if they're calling it a COVID variant, but it's something that might be like Ebola might be like Marburg. Gosh, we hope it doesn't get to the Olympians. I mean, <laughs> you know, where are you on that story that COVID may have been spread to the world after the, uh, 2019, uh, military games in Wuhan? Look, COVID, my opinion, Cash Patel's COVID came from China, COVID came from Wuhan, yep. period, full stop. I was yeah. a deputy director of national intelligence. Rick was the DNI. We briefed the president in February of 2019 or 20, whatever the year was. 2020. And the next week he comes out and he bans travel to China. And what happens? We, I can't get into the intelligence, but what happens? He and we are labeled a racist for doing so. Insane. Fast forward, and the rest of the world is still issuing travel embargoes, but they're not racist. Donald Trump acted on the intelligence, which we knew to be true. The media and the Democrats lied about it, and they said, well, we don't know the COVID origins. And I said, actually, we do, which is why we acted in the fashion that we acted. And if right. they didn't preen from the tops of their high ivory towers, we could have gotten a better handle on COVID. And to this day, this is why I'm so ticked off about not just the Winter Olympics, but anything else. Why hasn't the Chinese government and the CCP granted access to the United States, to the Wuhan laboratory, to international inspectors like we have, like we do all over the world, especially to a lab which we have given funding, U.S. taxpayer dollars? Right, right. Where are they hiding? Well, they're hiding the origins we know, of yeah. COVID. Flat, it's, flat out. It's funny, too, because the people who always claim to be all about saving lives in terms of their public policy prescriptions right. are must then make some sort of argument about how knowing the origin of COVID wouldn't have helped us treat it immediately. And that is one of those logical boundaries that like, I just can't get past. You have to, if you are a committed scientist who's trying to save lives, knowing the origin of the virus would be a massive piece of important information. And we just allowed the Chinese not to tell us. We just took their word for it. We listened to the WHO. That whole period in history, when we finally get to go back through that with a fine tooth comb, I don't think we're going to look very fondly on the people who prescribe these policies. The only reason it had the prism it did is because Donald Trump was president. Had he not been president, the media would have stopped their gallivanting and and propulsion of fake news 
and the world would have been safer for it. But they could not give Donald Trump any credit for doing anything right, and especially when it came to China. He was the hardest commander in chief on China that I can recall in modern U.S. history. And the results were we, America, were on top and China was not. And even though China was still our enemy then, we had it under control. And and now look where we are. CCP. Yeah, go ahead. No, they're just dictating to the world and the United States what's going to happen. We're going to have a global Olympic Games here. Forget the China virus. China virus be damned. Um, we're going to raise tariffs. We're going to make it expensive for America to do anything with China ever again. We're going to take target practice at American ships, dummy ships in the South China Sea. We, the CCP, are now in charge. That is outrageous to me. It is outrageous. And the funny thing is that we've actually had a portion of this country who's kind of been under the CCP spell for a long time because Mm -hmm. their infiltration into our universities and into our media, into our tech, into our mainstream culture has been so pervasive. I always have to interrupt on on this one because let's not forget, the Chinese intelligence service were driving around Senator Dianne Feinstein for a decade. Unbelievable. The Chinese intelligence service had infiltrated a a member of the United States Congress who was on the House Intelligence Committee and he had an affair with them. I'm talking about Eric Swalwell. Eric Swalwell, yeah. And he's still on the House Intelligence Committee. Can you imagine if a Republican congressman or woman had an affair or slept with an agent of the Chinese National Security Service? I hope somebody gets to ask Nancy Pelosi at some point why exactly he's still sitting there. And I would wonder about Adam Schiff as well. I mean, it's just ludicrous that you can that this can happen and the Chinese government can have this much reach into our top edifices of intelligence. And because it was a Democrat and his name was uh, Eric Swalwell or whatever, it can be okay because he'll come out on TV and say the FBI cleared you. The FBI cleared you of what? Being on the House Intelligence Committee and sleeping with a Chinese spy? <laughs> it is. I mean, that story by itself could be episodes long. It is. Oh, yeah. It is insane that we are at that point. And it, it one of the most disturbing things about this period in American history is how that can be a widely known fact and we still have multiple media organizations and probably 20 to 25 percent of this country who will say that they are just fine with it they'll pretend it's not real they imagine that if it was real someone would have done something about it right or it's fake news because we're saying right of course exactly um So so speaking of Go go ahead. Did you want to say no, one no, more go. thing? No, no, sorry. Go. So I was going to say, so speaking of fake news, I want to go through some things that, that Russia has done, okay? Russia yeah. elected Trump. They colluded with Trump. They <laughs> owned Trump. They hosted a golden shower. They executed every cyber attack ever. The yeah. DNC, SolarWinds, the pipelines, Ukraine, everything that happens in this world that it seems goes against the deep state and globalist agenda somehow was done by Russia. And that doesn't seem possible to me. And considering how many of the things they've accused Russia of that Mm -hmm. turned out not to be true at all, that really colors my view on where things are with this run up to uh, the Ukraine and Russia situation, because this seems like the most obvious dog wagging exercise that anyone has ever seen. Yeah, look, I think. Which is not to say Putin's our buddy. 
No, he's not. He's not our friend, and he's not out to get you know America's interest, uh, you know, expanded. He's out to get Russia and Putin's interest expanded, which, as the head of the Russian Federation, that should be his interest. Yes, he's so, the leader of a sovereign nation. But what he does effectively and better because than most any, because especially in this current environment where he's smart enough to know we're letting him. Remember, he he um, turned our election apparatus on its head for forty thousand dollars. Didn't change a single vote, but he right. got the propaganda he wanted out of it for four <laughs> years and it cost him almost nothing. And, he, and, and if you fast forward to the Ukraine scenario, he's kind of making the same play. And remember, the Russia incident happened during Obama, not Trump. And now we have Biden and the Ukraine incident is happening again under who? Biden, because he, Putin, knows that we have a weakened United States national security posture right now. And he can control the international media cycle. Look at what we're talking about. The whole yeah. world's talking about World yeah. War Three. He's not going to start World War Three in the Ukraine because he knows that would be idiotic for Russian self-interest and his own. But what can he do? He can send a few hundred thousand troops near the border. He can get the media to freeze all it's doing. And he can talk about Russia, Russia, Russia from sunup to sundown. And who's winning? He is. Who's losing? We, the United States. Because what are we doing? We're saying... We've got people on high alert. What does that even, I mean, I know what that means because I was at DOD. <laughs> right, what right. But mean? what are they meaning by it right now? Right. What are you yeah. going to do with them? Are you going sh- to ship our soldiers over to fight another war? Are you going to send them over in FedEx boxes? Do you guys know how long it takes to move troops? Uh, where are we going to put them? We're just going to airdrop them into the Ukraine, another sovereign nation, and say, hey, we're coming. It's, it's the next it Afghanistan. Nobody's thought this out. It's, it's, it's outrageous. But Putin, again, is winning the propaganda war, and it's costing him almost nothing. So I agree. It is outrageous. Yeah. And by the way, $40,000, like Hunter Biden doesn't even kick hookers out for forty five for $40,000. He'd be like, no, guys, just uh, let me know when it gets up to 100 and maybe I'll change my schedule. Yeah, his art but, doesn't uh, sell for that little either. <laughs> so um, so this this Ukraine stuff, even the messaging within the Biden administration, and obviously this is take it for granted that they will mess up the messaging. But Mm -hmm. in the press conference last week, he said that Putin doesn't want war. Okay. Mm -hmm. He said that Ukraine wouldn't be in NATO for at least 15 years anyway. So those are two of his pillars. Those are two of the premises on which this whole thing is happening. And he just eradicated those Yesterday, they called for Americans at the assembly to evacuate, but mm-hmm. also said that they couldn't get Americans out. I, I mean, <laughs> well, it's no surprise. We, we couldn't yeah. let get Americans out of Afghanistan. Right, right. There. But he's also said American forces will not be moving in. Uh, he said today, just an hour or so ago, that if Vladimir Putin entered Ukraine with his 100,000 troops. It would be the biggest invasion since World War II. The messaging is all over the place, and none of it supports a Ukraine-Russia confrontation with U.S. and our NATO allies involved, it seems to me. And and oh, by the way, has anyone talked to the people in Ukraine and asked them what they want? For real. I mean, how? why are we not having a staged actual conference in you know the grand palace of viviana or switzerland or wherever they have these fancy things that i never got invited to and asking (laughs) global leaders from the uk and france and spain and america and canada and wherever to say what are we going to do what does the ukraine want 
what is the global security position of, of the West and our allies together? Those are questions that no one's talking about on TV, except when Biden says he hosted a, you know, a video teleconference with someone to, about the matter or that well, he called. Yeah, I mean, it seems like usually when they're not telling us what the people want, it's because what the people want goes in direct opposition to what they are trying to do. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, look, look, I, I, I hope I'm right on this one. I don't think he's going to invade the Ukraine. I don't think he's going to invade Kazakhstan. But I think he is going to use every single ounce that he can uh, to squeeze out the narrative that he wants. And that is King Putin is on top of the hill and the United States is not up there with him. That's the nar- he wins with that narrative at home all day long. And it's sad from an American. Yeah. Like Cuba. And and he went and look, Xi Jinping is running the same playbook with Taiwan. He's running the same exact story because of a weakened America. And, and a compromised president. Yes. Yeah, that's I, so I was I just recorded an episode before you and I got on. And that was one of the things I was talking about. I mean, we have Russia and we have China. And these are both places where there is traceable corruption directly from the Biden family with elements of Russia, elements of China. I won't say it's the entire government. It's it's elements. It's oligarchs. It's right. Why foreign it nationals. Ukraine and Biden's. Yeah, it, it seems like what that's one of those things that someone should look into, like maybe make a perfect phone call about it or something. <laughs> or actually have a congressional <laughs> committee do oversight. That's meaningful. That uh, is something we can hope for in November, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that that's what we can get to in November. But um, but no, I look, I, I appreciate you having me on. It's been a, it's been a fun conversation. Actually, I, I really liked it. Me too, man. Me too. Um, so everybody, you can go to uh, fightwithcash.com if you have been censored or maligned by these tech and media oligarchs. Uh, not oligarchs. What's a better word? Uh, no, I mean, maybe it's an, I don't know, oligarch. Maybe it's just it could tech be coming and media. down from the oligarchs. Yeah. Tech and media giants who have defamed you or or blasted your family name and you want it cleared. Well, fight with cash. We'll literally take the fight to court for you and pay for it. So check us out. Check out our content. Our All-American merchandise is super awesome. Check it all out and support the cause. Thanks so much, Cash. We'll Thanks, talk brother. to you soon. We'll talk soon. Bye. Yes, sir. Bye. In my mind, that's the end game. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator.
You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!